I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21, P. Bible page 1,887. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. Starting the reading in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Um, There are things that um, we use um, that you might say we have uh, a respect for uh, certain kinds of saws that you use in a shop. Um, they can be very dangerous. Um, if you're flippant in the way that you use it, you could lose a finger. Firearms are something that uh, packs a lot of power. And so typically we don't just give them to anyone. We Say if you're going to carry a firearm, then you need to have a certain kind, a level of training. Uh, you need to be able to show that you respect that weapon, that you don't treat it flippantly, that you don't point it around and wave it around at people, that you have an understanding about what it can possibly do if you were to mistreat it, if you were to treat it with... Uh, a sense of a lack of respect, a lack of care. Vehicles, two-ton pound equipment, a big metal chunk that you drive around. You don't think about this, but that thing can go 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. And if you hit a human being at that speed, they're not coming back. If you hit another vehicle at that speed, they're not coming back. Not too long ago, we were coming back from dropping my daughters off at, um, to spend some time with my parents down in Crawfordsville and coming up 65 North. Rain, really heavy rain. Um, I don't remember particularly what time it was, but 65 North, really heavy rain. Everybody had slowed down 40 miles per hour or so. They had their hazard lights on. And this semi-truck was 
coming up really hard behind me, wanting to get around me, was getting upset that everybody was going so slow. Um, and I thought to myself, this man drives a semi. He should understand how important it is for him to be careful, for him to be wise, for him to be measured. And so, you know, you have those, how am I, how's my driving thing on the back of it? Well, my wife took that down. She sent them an email. She finally got an email back. We made him look over the footage. We filmed this whole thing that you're talking about. We were able to figure out where he did it. He has to go through remedial training now because you told us about this. So, Vehicles are dangerous. We respect vehicles. And so we don't just let people drive vehicles, do we? We, we, we? we expect that they have to pass a test, that they have to go through some training. I've got 14-year-olds. I'm thinking about this right now. Because you can't treat driving in a flippant manner, in a flippant way, even though my wife might say I still do that from time to time. You can't do that because you could hurt someone, right? I, I say using Internet, access to Internet, phone devices. We, we hand those to kids today like it doesn't mean anything, but I think there should be training involved in the dangers of a device like this and the access that it gives you, right? So we often think of fear in negative terms uh, as a non-productive or even a counterproductive force. In truth, fear may be very positive and productive. And so the same way that we say you need to fear or respect these kinds of saws that you're working on in the shop or you're going to lose a finger. You need to fear and respect the use of firearms. You can't just carry a firearm and be flippant with it. You have to respect it. You have to understand what kind of damage you can do with that. Vehicles, they're huge. They're, they could damage you. You have to fear them. You have to respect them. When you drive, you can't just do it in a flippant manner. Well, Peter speaks in verses 17 through 21 of 1 Peter chapter 1 of our text about the fear which should characterize Christians. Uh, and the principal command is found in verse 17. It says, conduct yourselves, or um, in the NIV, live your lives as strangers here in fear, in reverent fear. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Our theme. Because our salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ. And ordained by God before all time. We should rejoice and tremble. We should rejoice and tremble. So there's three points that we have tonight. First is a living in fear. The second is a reason to fear. 
And the third is a fear of our Father. So each of these subpoints in our passage tonight describe a reason for the, the reverence, the holy reverence, the fear or the respect that we should carry ourselves with as Christians, okay? So we're going to talk about that point by point. Verse 17 says, since. Um, it's a transitional statement. What verses 3 through, uh, 3 through 12 have talked about is this salvation. Because of our, sal- our salvation. Describing it in great detail. 3, three through uh, verse 12. In verse 13, Peter then transitions into what we, we called the imperative or command type of uh, uh, passage. Indicative is this is what's happened for you, right? Imperative is this is how you should respond because of what's been done for you, okay? And, and verse 17 is continuing that imperative format. So in verse 17, Peter, after saying, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so what's been said so far is we are called to holiness because God is holy. Right? Following that up, then, he says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's works impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. So, right here it says, Since God the Father is an impartial judge, God the Father is an impartial judge. He shows no partiality in his judgment, okay? So what I want you to, to, uh, to think about, and I want you to ask the question is, is Peter saying here that um, even though we're saved, um, God judges us no different than um, those who aren't saved? It seems like that's what he's saying. Since you call on a father who judges each man's works, work impartially, live your lives here in reverent, as strangers here in reverent fear. Since you call on a father, so you, you are praying. This is what it means, calling on. Calling on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Well, what Peter is saying is the first reason we should have this reverent fear as Christians is the character or the nature of God, the Father. He already mentioned in verse 16, we are to be holy because God is holy, right? Now he's adding a layer of information to that. He's saying, because God is holy, he's an impartial judge. His character and his nature is that he's an impartial judge. This judgment that uh, Peter is alluding to here in verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, 
could be referring to the judgment at the end of time. Uh, but more likely, since Peter is saying, because God's an impartial judge, you should live your lives now as strangers here in reverent fear, what he's talking about is the, uh, the way in which God can discipline his children, the way in which God can speak to his children, work in his children's lives if they're stumbling, if they're falling away in order to teach them something, in order to instruct them something, much in the way that the book of Hebrews talks about how a father, a loving father, disciplines his children, right? Quoting from the Proverbs. So this is what Peter's talking about here. He's saying, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives, live out your lives here as strangers. Strangers. This is a, a theme in Peter's letter. He begins it by saying, God's elect exiles. And here, once again, he mentions, you're strangers in this land. Strangers in, living out your lives in reverent fear. He's calling upon that Abrahamic patriarchal language of being a wanderer. Somebody who does not have a home where he is, but has been promised a home that is better, a home that awaits them, right? And as Peter has often alluded to the return of Christ and the coming of Christ and the, and the uh, revelation of Christ, that's what Peter is wanting his readers, the recipients of this letter, to cling to, is to realize that, yes, you are living now in this world, but you're a stranger. You're in exile. You're a pilgrim. You're a wanderer. And because you're awaiting a better future, you're awaiting a better home, you're awaiting a better land, you need to live your life in relation to that. You need to live your life with that understanding that this is not your home. So the character of our Father, the nature of our Father as an impartial judge, is a reason to live out our lives here and fear. God is not some kind of... Um, God is not the kind of God who... Um, how, how do I put it this way? Let's say you're coaching a baseball team. And you happen to be coaching the baseball team that your kids are on, right? You know where I'm going with this, right? And all the other kids, they get the hard line from coach. But his own kids, you know, they get a little uh, silver lining, so to speak. Because dad looks at them through rose-colored lenses. God is not like that. He's an impartial judge. And so that should be a reason why we live out our lives in fear. That should be a reason why we consider uh, God as something, not something, someone to be in awe of. If we're afraid of letting people drive a car because they could hurt someone, if we're afraid of letting people carry firearms because they could hurt someone, if we're afraid of letting people use saws in the shop because they could hurt someone or they could hurt themselves, then imagine how the kind of respect and awe and fear we should have of God who is holy and completely and totally separate, God who is an impartial judge, 
and judges each person according to their works and their deeds. We should be in awe, have a holy reverence and fear of that God. Another reason to fear given by Peter is this, then. He continues. For you know that it was not with perishable things. Here, again, he is doing this perishable-imperishable contrast. It's not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you are redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So, the imperishable here, blood of Christ. The perishable, silver and gold. Look at the way that he used this kind of language earlier. Verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. This contrast between what is perishable and what is imperishable. What is perishable is, is something connected and tightly united to this phase of being in this world, right? It's going, to, it's going to be burned away. It's going to not last. What is imperishable are things that are going to last. They're going to carry on into the age to come. And so Peter says, another reason for you to have a holy reverence as a Christian, a holy reverence, uh, uh, live in this holy reverence, this awe, this fear, right, is that your salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ, by imperishable things, by a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter's saying, you know that your redemption, you were ransomed, not by perishable things such as silver or gold, but that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to your father, from your forefathers by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So another reason to fear, to have a holy reverence, a reverence as strangers in this land, as pilgrims, as exiles, as we go through this journey of life that God has given to us in this moment, is the work of Jesus Christ and our redemption. That's a reason to live our lives, to live out our lives in fear, because we were purchased. We were redeemed with such a price that we can't even imagine. The price of the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a price that we can't put a price tag on. We could say it's priceless. 
And so when you think about the way that you're called to live your lives with an awareness, with an understanding, an awe, a reverence, a fear as Christians, one of the things that we're called to bring to mind is the way in which our salvation was purchased. The way in which our salvation was purchased. The cost of something, many people say, um, it's not that important. Maybe it's the thought that goes into a gift, right? Um, But if you were to know that the cost of your salvation was the life of the Son of God, if you were to always bring that before your mind, if you were always to consider that and to ponder that and to keep that before you, would that not remind you? Would that not remind you to be awake, to be alert, to be filled with a reverence and awe of the salvation that you've received? It's not something that costs little. And it's not something that can be overlooked. The work of Jesus Christ in our redemption is another reason to live out our lives in fear. He is the Lamb without blemish or defect. The Old Testament, the sacrificial lambs were meant to be without blemish or defect. And so here, Peter says, Jesus, he's the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the Lamb that all those lambs pointed to. And Jesus is the one without blemish or defect, which meant that Jesus is the one that died even though he was the only man to ever live who should not have died because he was without sin and without guilt, without blemish or without defect. Yet he died on the cross for us. And that is something that should fill us with fear. Now, Does it mean when we fear God and we fear Christ and the way he did for us that we don't love him? Only if it means that when we deeply respect our Father, we can't also love our earthly fathers. Just because we are afraid that if our dad comes back and realizes we haven't done the chores the way they're supposed to be done doesn't mean that we don't also love our dad. The work of Jesus Christ in our redemption cost him his life, his blood, and that is something that should fill us with awe, reverence, respect, fear. Our salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ. Now, final point. Almost like we're coming full circle here. Obviously, the first reason mentioned for having this holy reverence or fear is that God is holy. His character and his nature is as an impartial judge. 
But we're back to speaking about God. Verses 20 through 21 tell us that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these last times for your sake. Uh, the word chosen there is prognosco. It's uh, the same word used for foreknowledge, prognosis. Okay, so this is what it's saying here. Uh, Jesus was chosen to die for us before all time. When Peter goes from, you were purchased not with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life that you were taught by your forefathers, but you were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb without blemish or spot, right? And then he goes, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. What he's saying is, Jesus was chosen for the task of dying for you, for the task of shedding his blood, for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus was chosen for this before the foundation of the world. That's why we read in Revelation, I saw a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean, that Jesus died before the world even started? No, it means that God, having ordained that that would come to be, it was as good as it was going to happen. Before the world was even created, Jesus was our Savior who was destined to die on the cross for our sins. Okay? He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. These last times, these end days, when Christ came into the world the first time, and he put on flesh, and he lived among them, and he died on the cross, and he was resurrected, and, and, and then he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, and he poured the Holy Spirit out. The Bible talks about that as end days, like we are end times people. We are living in the end days. Jesus has inaugurated, he has begun the end of all time, and it's just coming to a culmination when he comes again, okay? But we are end times people. We are always living in the end days. So it doesn't matter how many times Harold Campion says that this is when Jesus is really going to return. We are already in times people. We're already in the end days. Peter is saying to his first century audience that Jesus was, was revealed in these last times for your sake, for our sake. And through the original audience to us, for our sake as well, Jesus was revealed in this time, in the time that he came, for our sake. You never uh, watch a movie, and um, for whatever reason, there's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of intrigue in the movie, and it's hard to follow, and you don't know exactly what it is that's going on. But then at the end, you get the reveal, and it blows you away. It's a shocker. It's a wow. And then all of a sudden, it sort of goes through this montage of little clips all the way back through the movie, right? where you're like, now I see it. Wow, right there, right there, right there. And then it's one of those movies where after you watch it, you're like, now I want to go back and watch it again because now I know it and I'm going to see all those clues now. I'm going to know all those things, right? Well, that's what being in these end days is like, having now seen the coming of Jesus Christ and the salvation that has been purchased for us in him. It's like, now I want to go back and, and watch the movie over again. And see all those clues, right? 
That's what you're doing. You go to the Old Testament and you look at all these wonderful prophecies about Jesus. They were just wanting to know what that was, but we know that's, that's fulfilled in Jesus. And we are those who've received the work that he's accomplished, that Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world to accomplish and purchase our salvation in his blood. And we, we, we're recipients of that. We know that. And that's why I said on my theme, our salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ, but also ordained by God before all time. And because of that, we should rejoice and tremble. We are not only being told that Jesus died for us, but we're also being told that through Jesus, we believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. So, what Peter's doing here is saying, now I want you to think about how Jesus died on the cross for you. That, that's the Son of God, right? He bled for you and for your sins. And then Peter says, now I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to make this even greater than you're thinking about it now. I want you to know that before you were ever even born, before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, before this world ever came into being and into creation, God had ordained that Christ Jesus, his son, would die on the cross for you. And that through Jesus, you would come to believe in God, the Father, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. God And the work of God, our Father, in our salvation is a reason to live our lives in fear. The work of God, our Father, in our salvation is a reason to live out our lives in fear. It's not just that Jesus was working solo. It's not just that Jesus came because he was the loving person and he wanted to appease the wrath of this almighty God and so Jesus, he came and he did something um, so that um, um, God would like us again. No. It's that God the Father worked in Jesus Christ to bring us to himself. Wow. Is that not a reason to rejoice and tremble? A fear of our Father comes in our understanding of His work in our salvation. The Father's work. When you understand how God the Father was at work in our salvation. When you understand the, what, the price that Jesus paid on the cross and his blood for our salvation. When you understand that God is a holy God and who's an impartial judge. These are all reasons that we are called to live out our lives as strangers here 
in reverent fear. Because our salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ and ordained by God before all time, we should rejoice and tremble. Not only should we say, wow, what a great salvation, like you do at the end of a movie when you see the reveal, when you see what it is that, that came about to make all this happen, right? Wow. But then you tremble because you're like, all this for me? What a great salvation for me. I mean, I tremble in awe. I tremble in fear that I am the one that possesses such a great and wonderful thing. More than I tremble in fear about carrying a firearm or driving a vehicle or using a saw in a shop, I tremble in fear because I am the possessor of a great salvation that was ordained before all time, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I tremble because I have a Father that I call upon, that I pray to, who is a holy God and who is an impartial judge. I mean, I am rejoicing because I am filled with such a wonder that that God would show grace and mercy to such a sinner as I, but I also tremble because of that reality. Because our salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ and ordained by God before all time, we should tremble and rejoice. Rejoice and tremble. And we should live our lives, conduct our lives in reverent fear as strangers, as exiles here in this life, awaiting for the coming and the revelation and the appearance of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much that we are saved strangers. We are exiles, but we are those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ the one that was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these last times for our sake. And it's through him, it's through Jesus Christ that we believe in you, Lord. You who in your power raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so our faith and our hope are not just in Jesus Christ, they're in you, our God. How wonderful and how filled with awe we are because of this. And may we tremble May we rejoice in the great salvation we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.